Welcome back, Wildcats. We are happy to have you here today listening, and we are so ecstatic about your learning and applying all that you've learned. I know. So exciting. Did you hear them talking? And they were they were talking about the diabetes. It was awesome. They were just loving it. We know that you take all of these so important hacks and cues and clinical moments into your practice and into nursing school, but we know that you also ultimately need to pass NCLEX. Right. So you got to hear these concepts and these little NCLEX hacks that we throw at you. Memory to joggers. Memory joggers. Yeah. So last month we talked about diabetes, which yeah. was so great because the students got to listen to that for their exam in semester two uh, and this month we are going to focus on postpartum hemorrhage which is definitely a medical emergency and really requires a vigilant and prudent nurse to help prevent it um, and to assess for it and to intervene so let's kick off with some introductions i'm dr z I'm Dr. D. And we have a VIP this month. A very important podcast. So important. And we're going to let her introduce herself. Welcome. Yes, I'm Abby Darris. Thank you for having me in here. And a little bit about myself. I guess I tried to avoid acute care as much as possible. So I went into <laughs> public health nursing straight out of nursing school. Um, but I uh, missed being part of a team, so I went into labor and delivery uh, nursing and kind of stuck there for a long time until I got into this gig here. So I probably, dear, so you are all youngins, so probably started deliver, helping deliver babies when you guys were all born. Let's see, I started that in 2000. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's an honor. That really is. That's kind of experience. Yeah. So, so we asked her here. Yes, we did. <laughs> I, I, I certainly hope so. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. Well, here. we're hoping you didn't balk too much at our clinical moment that we're getting ready to talk about because it was kind of a serious oh, man. moment. Not one bit. Not one bit. This is a really important topic. And so it I'm is. glad to be here to be able to talk you through it and maybe learn some hacks too. Yeah. So. Just a little forewarning for all of you listening, we're gonna talk about a clinical moment this month, which may be troublesome to some of you. It does involve um, a mother who murdered her own children. So if that's something that is difficult for you to hear, fast forward to the NCLEX hack part and skip over this section. It is a really important topic that is that is important to kind of think about and hear as nurses, but just wanted to give you all that warning. So. Let's just jump right into our clinical right. moment. You wanna give a little summary? All right, so let's get started. I kind of came upon this because my mom called me because she lives in Hanson and Doxbury's right next to Hanson. And she was like, oh my God, have you heard? And of course I was like, no, I really haven't. <laughs> but then when I put it in, um, it's really disturbing story. So Lindsay Clancy's from Duxbury, Massachusetts. That's where they grow all the cranberries. Oh, and she's I a mother of three. Uh, she had postpartum mental health problems before this event happened. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, as Dr. Z said, the end result was the life of her three children. And then she jumped out of a, her second story building house where it happened after she did that. So it started in September. So in September of 2022, 
she was expressing some anxiety with her providers about returning to work and she was diagnosed diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and during the time period because this is i think for me mm-hmm. especially teaching patho farm talking about medication reconciliation mm-hmm. this is so disturbing but from october to january she was being treated for anxiety depression and insomnia she was on like how many meds I can't. 13 different psych meds i don't just saying it makes my head spin I, I, how does 13. that I, I, so boggles my mind so here they are Ambien, Clonopin, Valium, Prozac, Molybdal, Ativan, Remeron, Seroquel, Zoloft, Trazodone, Hydroxa, I cannot say that Zine. word. Hydroxazine. Makes you sleepy. <laughs> Amitriptyline and Boost Bar. Yeah. That's just crazy. I mean, several antipsychotics, several SSRIs, several Pamelamas or Benzos. So that a problem polypharmacy without a doubt. So this was going on from October to January. Um in October of 2022, um she did write in a notebook, I guess she was keeping a journal that yeah, like on her phone. I think she like oh, had kind yeah. of a journal on her like notes on her phone. Yeah. It talked about how she was I think I sort of resent my other children because they prevent me from from treating Cal, which I guess was um her newborn mm-hmm. like her first baby so she she did she did in the statement talk about depression mm-hmm. then in December of 2022 she had a psych evaluation and she was told she didn't have postpartum depression and she had no symptoms of postpartum depression at the end of December her husband um said that she was explaining that she was having suicidal thoughts and then thoughts about hurting the children that was in December the end in, of December yeah in January she self admitted to a psych ward but was um DC'd or discharged after 5 days without any indication that she was a danger to herself or others and then in mid January her husband began asking her if she was still having suicidal thoughts and she would she told him that she wasn't yeah. so that was mid January on January 22nd a friend reported that she had seemed fairly normal after a dinner that they had together and then on January 23rd um Lindsay wrote a note on her phone stating that she had a touch of postpartum anxiety about returning to work mm-hmm. this seemed to be the trigger this this was yeah, it yeah this was the trigger and then January 24th while her husband was out and she did send her husband out to pick up some takeout food um, she actually timed it on her wow. computer it was 11 minutes there and back and during that time frame she took the life of the children and then attempted suicide you know so so awful wow, just terrible it's mm-hmm. devastating absolutely so i guess that brings us to and of course she's in the process of being arraigned and right. meeting with um psychiatrists and i'm sure they'll they'll do a deeper dive into what was going on there but For sure but so many health mental health concerns yeah. well she said this was an interesting part too because i feel like all before right there wasn't i mean there was some talk of postpartum depression some anxiety things like that but then after it took place came the it came out that she had heard voices right. and that mm-hmm. you know there was um some psychosis and things along those lines but there's 
no sort of thought of anything about that before right. the actual event. Which is curious place. to me because as you, you listen to this um, this story, which is incredibly upsetting, but um, what were her diagnoses prior? Right. Yeah. And because... And, and all the meds, yeah. People who have uh, especially serious mental illnesses um, and then have go through pregnancy, they are at higher risk for having postpartum depression, um, oh. and which could lead to postpartum psychosis, mm. especially the diagnosis of bipolar. So that does, and then anybody who has a history of trauma, PTSD oh. involved, like if you think about it, 50% of individuals have some sort of trauma at some point in their life. Sure. And then depending on what that trauma was, that can come through through the labor. I mean, even the labor or delivery could be traumatic True. along True. with these other type of diagnoses and that could trigger this type of event. And you don't see it right away with, with postpartum psychosis. That usually comes around around two weeks after delivery. Oh, wow. And it may be something where it kind of builds up like this. And so, you know, it sounds like this person, I mean, she's taking notes, yeah. you know, she's doing the she's right thing. Yeah. So that means she's like willing to go and look for help. And she obviously had services. I mean, you think of the people who yeah. don't have the services. Right. And she's taking down notes. And, you know, if this, and I don't know if this was like newly postpartum person, but who do women mainly see as their doctors? Right. OBGYNs, yeah. midwives. Right. And as we all know, mental health is siloed. Mm -hmm. We don't put it all together. So those were just kind of my thoughts about it. Yeah, it's, it, you know, you bring up a really interesting point about, you know, the silos of healthcare, right? And, and mental health tends to be one of those big silos. You know, nobody really wants to deal with mental health. Right. Just kind of, oh, well, you need to go see a therapist or a right. psychologist. Or, right. Uh, or, oh, you need meds, go see the psychiatrist. But then even the psychiatrists oftentimes don't do what the psychologist is doing. They're just prescribing right. the meds. and Right. And if you get a pregnancy involved, if someone's already on meds, some of those meds have to come off during pregnancy. Oh, yeah. And That's so from October to January, she was, somebody was prescribing meds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, yeah, who, who knows where, and then maybe when she was an inpatient, maybe a whole another team came on. Oh, yeah. And medication reconciliation <clears throat> for right. sure can i just say it yeah and you know you brought up the point where you know she had access to resources clearly she was working within the healthcare system something was overlooked somewhere but also again we don't know the, the actual details but it sounds like to some degree had a present husband that yeah. was checking in with her that's a very affluent right next to Cohasset. Yeah, so these are people very affluent. She and had like everything education there too. Right. To check in on that and like, like you know, I think if this were like a, a person who was a single parent or a single guardian and not to have someone setting, not knowing access. having people check in. I mean, I mean, this is just uh, it's really it's really sad. Yeah, but she sad. had some, you know, they were trying. It looked like yeah. they were trying. And then in terms of it's, you know, you mentioned that she was anxious about having to go back to work. So maybe she has had some anxiety. And um, for people who are pregnant, they usually do screenings. The Edinburgh postpartum uh, depression scale is the big one that they okay. use. 
They usually screen people who are at higher risk, like who have serious mental illness or a history of depression, anxiety, that type of thing, uh, throughout the pregnancy, once uh, prenatal, once interpartum, once or twice postpartum. But the Edinburgh doesn't do, doesn't measure anxiety. Oh, interesting. So you'd have to do another. A, a, a so what other scale is there? Or, yeah. 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 So. So complicated. Yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. But we're like, you know, we're looking at this case as a, you know, in hindsight, of right. course, we're going to see all yeah. the, the issues with it. But like as nurses, you know, we're talking to our nurses, nursing students here. What, how do we help this situation? You know, what, what could we have done as nurses? Lindsay Clancy was failed at some point. Yeah. Whether it was the healthcare, I mean, who knows, right? At some point along the line, we failed her. How do we how do we stop that from happening? Yeah, and I mean, were the right tools used? Were they used at the right time? Were the right people talking to each other to help with this person's diagnosis or diagnoses? It's it's hard to say. Um, but as nurses, I think we need to um, look at risk factors. Mm -hmm. And if this person had some sort of diagnosis even prior or some sort of trauma prior to the pregnancy or was it the pregnancy and delivery itself sometimes those people are well if if institutions are doing it right they're flagging these people while they're in the acute care setting in the labor and delivery unit or postpartum unit and these are getting you know moved on to social workers because like, who knows if social workers i mean they're so few and far between and right. they're not paid well um, yes, exactly <laughs> um you know so like but it maybe in this town maybe they were you know this person was at an institution where that would so sometimes that can get caught where you get you flag those people and you get them the, the help. But yeah, we look at, at the, the risk factors. So if someone's had some previous trauma, um, some some history, uh, serious mental illness or depression or anxiety, um, you can yes. certainly yeah. cue into that. Their children. I know. I mean, it's just so rare. Usually there's such there's some it is so rare. Yeah. And those people who have postpartum depression in previous pregnancies and, uh, are at higher risk for getting it again. Yeah. And yeah. then, and those who have postpartum depression, yeah, and, and baby blues, I mean, that's something right. that's, you know, that usually self-resolved, but people who have a history of depression are more likely to get postpartum depression, which can lead to something. Yeah. So is there like a date, like a time frame that someone has baby blues that you know, like, oh, this is more than baby blues. I mean, yeah, baby blues is usually something that happens about like, you know, they say between two days after delivery up to two weeks. Oh, okay. Baby blues is self-limiting. Baby blues is something where like, you're just kind of down. You're just kind of like, eh, like, you know, I'm not thrilled about this this new thing here, um, but you're able to do your ADLs. Mm -hmm, you're okay. able to get up, you're able to function. And you're the baby. Yeah. Feed that kid. Um, and then it, it, it limits itself, it kind of goes away. And that's, it's actually more common. Sleeping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as, as that little nugget sleeps the next day. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it's self-limiting and it goes where you're able to function, you're able, you know, and it's more common than we talk about. Right. I mean, I clearly wasn't thrilled with my first one. I'm like, I have to, I have to care for that now, you know? And it's a lot. It's yeah, a it lot a for, you know, first time parent. And then, yeah, and then postpartum depression, uh, that's where now things are a little bit deeper. So like you actually have that depression type mm -hmm. of uh, diagnosis and you're not able to care for yourself or the infant, or the or, you know? 
yeah, and that lasts a little bit longer, obviously, and you get treatment for that. So. so it sounds like there's some real things that we can do in that, like, assessment, right? Making sure that we're assessment. just assessing so well, assessing for those risk factors, interdisciplinary communication, communicating with our colleagues and counterparts, and medication reconciliation. Let's oh let's look at that 13 psych meds thing and, and see what we can do about that. But it seems like that those are kind of some real points that that maybe we needed to do a little bit better for this person. You gotta start somewhere. Gotta start somewhere. These mm -hmm. are high open-in events for sure. So speaking of mental health, that was a heavy topic. It was heavy. <laughs> let's break out of that and let's focus on a semester three topic today. So hence our faculty guests. And the, we thought we would take it up a notch and cover a topic that's highly testable on the NCLEX. Yep. I'm sure it's important in your class, but what do I know? And something that a good nurse should know, right? Absolutely. And so we're going to talk about postpartum hemorrhage. It occurs in almost one in five postpartum moms and is the most frequent cause of maternal morbidity in the developed world. All right, I'm sure many of you are sitting there groaning like, <laughs> wah, wah, I don't plan on being a labor and delivery nurse. Why do I really need to listen to it? Well, stop, stop right there. Stop your whining. You're not all gonna be working in the ED. In the ED, thank <laughs> you. Um, everybody needs to know this information, whether you're going to be, you know, labor and delivery nurse or not. Um, you know what? Actually, I'm a trauma nurse, right? So, and I worked in the trauma ICU, and we had, like, never did I ever think I was going to be taking care of. Exactly. You know, and yeah. uh, we had to take care of a patient who was in a, had a trauma, but was in the trauma ICU, delivered, and ended up having a postpartum yeah. hemorrhage. Um, so I did not realize that that was something I was going to have to do. So it is important uh, and you're going to need to know it for the NCLEX. Uh, so let's uh, transition here. All right. So we're just going to transfer right over. We're going to hand it over to Professor Darris here, who's going to tell us a little bit about what postpartum hemorrhage is. is. Yeah. What is it? What defines it? Well, it's pretty much the amount of bleeding that happens after uh, a delivery. Um, so uh, believe it or not, people that deliver, they, they bleed and that's a normal thing, but we need to quantify it. And so hemorrhage occurs when a person who's pregnant and has delivered, if they lose more than 500 milliliters of blood during a vaginal delivery or more than a thousand milliliters of blood after a C-section. Mm -hmm. yep. Yes, and you're right. Pregnant people show up everywhere. They're everywhere. everywhere. They're everywhere. They're they're in Starbucks. They're I've taken care of several of these because guess who they're calling? How much is too much when we're talking about the saturation of pads? Um, that's a good question. So we usually tell our postpartum patients that it's kind of going to be kind of like a heavy period. Okay. And so if you have a peri pad on and that gets soaked with like two to three hours or something, we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. But if that peri pad or even the chucks below that, if you're um, in acute care setting, starts to get saturated within 15 minutes, that is way too much. Mm -hmm. And so that needs to be checked on. So are there risk factors that we really need to be looking out for with mm -hmm. 
for postpartum hemorrhage? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, anybody who is pregnant and delivered can bleed. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's just the first thing. And I noticed that you said develop. Uh, countries, yes, you think about all the individuals who maybe uh, do not have access to meds and uh, proper midwives or care, you know, out in developing countries, so it's even higher there. You mentioned a term uterine atony, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, I think we probably know what uterine atony is, but that might be a foreign term to yes. some of our listeners. Can you just do a brief description of what that is or what it looks like? Yeah, uterine atony is basically a foggy uterus, anything that feels like a foam ball. There you, you know, go. So if you got your nerve ball and then you're squishing it, that's kind of what a boggy uterus or uterine atony feels like. You kind of want it to feel um, firm. Like if you tapped your forehead a couple of times or if you tap on the table, that's kind of what a contracted, nice contracted uh, uterus feels like. You want it contracted, you don't want a Nerf ball. Yeah, wow. so like without tone, a atony, a tone, no tone. So that brings us right into the four T's. So there we go. Sure. Yeah. hack. Yeah, uh, postpartum. So tone. <laughs> yes, tone. Uterine atony. Yes. So four T's. Tone is definitely the first one um, because it's the most common. So that's the uterine atony. It's about seventy percent of all hemorrhage. Whoa. Immediate postpartum hemorrhages are caused by lack of tone. Oh, trauma. Second T. Second T. So that is um, if you have a laceration mm. somewhere. So here's the deal with trauma. So if someone delivers vaginally and they've got a laceration or even a hematoma developing. Mm -hmm. They can bleed and bleed and bleed, but the tone of the uterus is still gonna be firm during that, but yet they're still bleeding. So still mm -hmm. an emergency. Mm -hmm. Thirty is tissue. Tissue, that's where if you have any retained parts, we call them placental fraggies. <laughs> and so the placenta fraggies. Okay, I don't mind that. Me, yeah. I call it that. So if you've got a placenta that didn't completely come out, I mean, usually they check the placenta, make sure that all lobes are there, but sometimes you can have some retained tissues or retained parts, which makes that the uterine wall doesn't heal. We want nice constricted vessels on that uterine wall. And because of those fraggies in there, it can't do that. So you can bleed yeah. and then, yeah. yeah. I hemorrhaged at the airport. Oh, that's a bummer. That is June. a bummer. With short shorts on. <gasps> it was I'm not so pretty. No. I was fine though. Just did a little scrapey yeah, out there. Yeah, somebody has to kind of go in. Yeah. And the last T, because we have tone trauma tissue, is thrombin. Yes, thrombin disorders are another thing that can cause postpartum hemorrhage. So if you've got preeclampsia diagnosis, so that does either coagulation. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that can help get you there to those in those non-coagulation parts. If you had, uh, if someone has a stillbirth, mm -hmm. that's, and that can lead to um, DIC. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah, bleeding. You know, if you're on. Um, it has to be like some heavy duty anticoagulants, but yeah, but that's, those are the big ones, preeclampsia, right. stillborn, and then the kid, which can lead to DIC. Yeah. Well, that was the first hack. That yeah. was. That's Four T's. Four no, T's. Do you want to do the next one? Uh, I do. Still talking about assessment though. Yes. yes. Okay. So assessment or, you know, really using our new clinical judgment model, yes. recognizing. Yes. <laughs> and analyzing cues. That's right. Um, so, okay. Our next hack is when we're talking about a Focus postpartum physical assessment bubble. Yes. All right. So yes. we have B breasts. 
breasts, okay? <laughs> and then you... Wait, can we stop there? Oh, you want to stop? Okay. Yeah, because the questions are going to be, what are we looking for? Yeah, what yeah. are we looking okay. for? Discharge, yes. any kind of streaks, mm -hmm. any redness? Yep, that's exactly what we're looking for. Anything that would be bothersome to the patient that would uh, hamper their ability or want to try and breastfeed. Um, so yeah, so we do overall assessment and uh, just because of the bubbly, you know, the acronym, well, let's start head to toe also. So we start with press. Really, I've seen some really bad mastitis. I've been called in for. Oh man. Very painful too. It's it very, very, painful. very, very it is, painful. But here's the thing about mastitis and um, all that about that, you have to breastfeed through that. Yes. And that and it's a stinger. very painful. Yep. Yes. You, you, uh, okay. B breast, you uterus. Oh, what are we? Best. What are we assessing with the uterus? Okay, well, there's the tone. Cut um, your hand. Yep. <laughs> you check that where that fundus is, and you want to make sure that's nice and centered. Like uh, um, midline is where you want that uterus to be. You want it to be firm, like we just talked about. Don't want any nerve balls. Is there any kind of no. anatomical? like at the emboli or anything like that right after? Right after delivery, it's going to be in between the symphysis pubis and the umbilicus. And then like about 12 to 24 hours, actually that uterus pops up a little bit and it should be right around the umbilicus, your belly button. But that's you, on the eggplants, is it? Yes. If you've had Remember twins, that. Yeah. <laughs> if you've had twins, it might be a little bit above. So it could be a little bit above, kind of, but for the most part, it's going to be at the umbilicus. Nice. Mm -hmm. Next B. Next B. Bowel and GI function. Yeah. Why yeah. is that important? Well, sometimes people can be, uh, especially if they have a C-section, they can be on some narcotic. Mm. Or if you've had a vaginal delivery, sometimes the act of wanting to have a bowel movement and it's not fun. Mm -hmm. Especially if they've had like a spinal or yeah, things can slow down. Anesthesia yeah. delays. They may not be able to sense uh, sense that, especially if they had an epidural or if they had a spinal mm -hmm. um, uh, for uh, C-section. One of the last places to kind of, I guess, I have the word "thaw out" in my head, but that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up! Wake up! There we go. Um, is around that area. Yeah, kind of Next B. <laughs> Bladder function. Oh, oh that's really important. It's really important because if that bladder becomes overextended um, through all the fluids that we dump in these patients, and these these patients are re relatively healthy for the most part, they can take the hit of fluid, plus fluid shifts and all this other stuff after delivery, they can have a full bladder and not even know it. Oh, and that yeah. bladder can actually push the uterus out of the way and deviate it over to the right. And so it's not going to be midline anymore and it can cause uterine acne. Ooh. Another NCLEX question for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. L. Lokia. Ah, oh, the Lokia. That's I the, love that one. It sounds Lokia. pretty, but it doesn't but now I, I know it does. It's like a Game of Thrones name. Yes. I am Lokia. <laughs> Um, her name was Loki. <laughs> she got the blonde hair with the half ponytail. Um, yes. So yeah, Lokia is basically the, the bleeding um, that occurs. We look at the color of that; it's going to be red. Um, but eventually, um, over time, it's going to fade kind of to the cirrus and the nalva. But yeah, we look at the amount of that, and um, and the hack for that is coca. Color, color, odor, odors. consistency, and amount. I learned something new today. Isn't that cool? New hack. Oh. I, I was like, what? That's a new hack. Okay, there you and go. And then our last letter for bubble. 
the episiotomy. Yeah, they don't really do those anymore. So I, they don't. They, don't. they would That's rather you have a controlled vaginal delivery if they're going to do anything. Like they would like to kind of like let everything stretch out um, because that's kind of a that can cause infection mm. they would right now they're into a little bit more of pairing <laughs> <laughs> like i hate to say that um so but anyway it's really important to look at the perineum mm -hmm. uh it is kind of what that's on so you're looking for any bruising swelling yes it's going to get bruised in a vaginal delivery and you're if sometimes people tear and so you take they get stitched up mm -hmm. and so you have to take a look at that and they may have sutures on the on the perineum, um, and I see and C sections as well. Mm -hmm. and I, I think next hack. Yeah, that's right. I think that leads into Wound something. assessment. Rita, that's right, Rita. Mm -hmm. So we have R, which is redness. So we're looking for redness, mm -hmm. uh, and this I really would apply to the um, the, the perineum or mm -hmm. perineal area and the C-section. I say right? any wound. Yeah. Any wound. That's yeah. what I tell my okay, students. Rita. You know Rita. Yeah. So redness, ecchymosis, also called bruising right. for other people, erythema, swelling, swelling, drainage, and approximation. This may be a new word for, for some people. It's how, like how well it's the skin is coming together. The wound edges are coming together. And the staples or the stitches. You just see suction of staples. Well, it kind of depends on what your surgeon at the time is into. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have them suture. It comes out nice. It is um, prettier. Yeah, it it's prettier. It makes it nice clean. Yep, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So if you've got a lazy surgeon, you might have staples in there. Well, we might as well go ahead and just quickly talk about we're here and we're talking about wounds separating. Mm -hmm. And so that is on the NCLEX. What is that? Usually it's gonna be some COPD patient that's vomiting or coughing, coughing and they're complaining of severe abdominal pain, but anybody know what that is? Dehiscence. Dehiscence. And then of course, if we have a wound question and it is dehissed, the number one thing we don't want them to do, of course, is to cough or vomit. Right. And that is called? Evisceration. Evisceration. When the bowel contents kind of come out and mm -hmm. then you gotta Keep it wet, keep it moist, yep. kind of go into the and OR. And that's an OR trip. Get them to the that OR. Is an OR. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow, so this has been really good. So a hemorrhage is a hemorrhage is a hemorrhage. That's what I always say to my students. But this is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And this happens, this could happen really fast. It can, it can. If you think about it, like uh, a lot of blood gets shunted into that uterus. I'm going to give you the resuscitation of this hemorrhage then. Okay. I mean, I know we're going to give crystalloids and colloids, right, but right, there's right. other things that we're going to do, right? Oh, for because sure. Because of the uterus. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, things that the first thing that you do is you massage that fundus. You get your hands on that belly. I think people get really scared of a pregnant or newly unpregnant belly, mm. but you get your hands on that belly and you massage that fundus. And that's usually the first thing. You make sure that the people empty their bladders. That's not it. Then we start moving into the medication territory. Right. So first thing that they always do is oxytocin. That's always given. Even as the infant's delivering, it's called. Oh, it's during the third stage. So that's the, you know, the infant's being delivered. So as soon as the infant's shoulders are out, they start Pitocin. Mm -hmm. yeah. Clamp. So they clamp. <clears throat> clamp that puppy down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're going to lock that in. Usually the surgeon will be like, 
C section. I think it's C section. Yeah. I usually didn't go to vaginal, but they're like, Pitocin in. And you're like, I'm drunk. Oh, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, we usually have it hanging up <laughs> and all ready, ready to, go, to go, and we just need to unroll that stopper. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and if it, oxytocin doesn't work, then we start moving into other type of medications, such as uh, mesoprostol. That is a tablet that can be placed per rectum. <laughs> that can help but that can cause hypotension. Mm. So we need to be careful with that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, another med that is used is called methergen. And that is something that is given IM. And we have to be careful with that one though, because if you have someone who has high blood pressure during, mm. uh, you can't give that. So no methergen for high blood pressure people. Mm -hmm. um, and never IV. Mm -hmm. Never, never IV. Yeah, we can dump their pressures pretty quick. <laughs> Another one that they use is carboprost, otherwise known as hemabate. That can be used as well um, in people. The biggest one for me with that one that I learned out in the road in my uh, travels is that one can cause explosive diarrhea. Oh, but yeah. I'd rather have that than it can also cause bleeding out. Bronchospasm and asthma. And no, for not for asthma. And that patients. was my demise of twins. Six oh. months. That that patient almost died on me. Oh my goodness. Because I was like, I would rather have had the methogen because we were there for a DNC because she kept bleeding. <clears throat> and he gave him a bait and it was just a mess. The whole story is a mess. If I gave her him a bait and she had the biggest bronchospasm oh, I've ever gosh. had to deal with. At two o'clock in the morning. Mm. That kind of stuff happens. And she lives. She I kind of know what to do. Yeah. Yep. She just buried her baby. She's going to bury her baby. And I was like, oh, my oh gosh. That's awful. That's so that one, it has something to do with the prostaglandin. And she had, had some prostaglandin and stuff as well. Yeah, it's probably for induction of labor yes. to soften that cervix. Yeah, um, she had that. Yeah. That so it was just an accumulation and a perfect storm. Oh, that's too bad. So does breastfeeding help? Yes, yes, breastfeeding can help to an extent. Absolutely, it uh, releases uh, that natural hormone that we have, oxytocin. That's the best thing, right? Yes, and so any type of nipple stimulation can help, and breastfeeding is one of those things. And that, so yeah, we like to promote breastfeeding to kind of help. Wow, I learned a lot. I, See, I like find this fascinating. You know, and it's been yeah. so long since I had a child. That's what I was going to say. Since I had a child, since I was in LMD, like uh, I've never actually worked in LMD. I'm like, oh yeah, I do remember this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Darius. This is a pretty important topic. I'd like to think so. Absolutely. Yes. At yeah. some point you may be running into a pregnant person. They may be entering through the yeah. emergency department before they get turfed right. so, We clearly sure. picked the expert because well, that was awesome. Awesome. I and I know our students are really gonna appreciate listening to the podcast. And you, there were so many points that's on the that I know are on the yeah. NCLEX that came like flowing right yeah, out of your yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Another episode down. So many hacks we've learned. Uh, we got the four T's. We got bubble. We got Rita. We got Coca. I think there was another one or two yeah. in there. And I didn't know about the Coca one, so thank you. Yes. We, also, we also remember, important that we talked about the definition of, of what the blood loss is to yep. define it as a postpartum hemorrhage. Yes. And then, of course, you know, on the NCLEX is the saturation of the pad. So, one pad over two hours, anything faster than that, or a one full pad in 15 minutes, those were the big things that I was digging out of Kaplan. Yeah. That mm -hmm. are probably gonna be pretty important. Mm -hmm. All right, well, thank you for listening. 
Thank you, Professor Dares, for being here and Thank joining us me. and teaching us. <laughs> and <laughs> teaching. Yes, lecturing. <laughs> it was great. That was conversation. So it was. And it was great. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Let's sign out. So this is Dr. Z signing out. Dr. D over here. And Abby Darris out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you know what they say. They Yes, don't be afraid of the water. Don't stay in the shallow end. Just jump, jump on, on in and take a deeper dive.